0: There, This is John from the FreeGiftFromGod.com podcast. I'm continuing to read the insights i found while seeking to understand what the Scriptures say the true Church of God should look like. All of this information comes from my free ebook titled The True Church of God, and it can be downloaded freely at the FreeGiftFromGod.com website. So let me continue reading, and I hope you find something of value in the insights that the Lord has given to me. Last time... I began talking about the Trinity, and we covered the Father and the Son. But this time, let's have a look at what about the Holy Spirit? So, like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit is separate from both of them, and is not the third face of the one God, as Trinity teaches. Nowhere in the Bible is the Holy Spirit ever called God. Nowhere in the Bible are we instructed to worship or praise the Holy Spirit as a God, unlike the Father and with Jesus Christ. This is not to denigrate or reduce the role and importance of the Holy Spirit, for it is by the Holy Spirit that we are being made into the image of Jesus Christ. And we know also that Jesus said the only unpardonable sin was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is to be respected and honoured, but not praised or worshipped as a God. Which raises the question: who is the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is not God, then who or what is He? The Holy Spirit is not a singularity but a collective name for those spirits who are holy and who serve God and do the will of God. As an example, we can receive the Holy Spirit as our personal teacher, counselor, comforter, guide, and intercessor with God. But who is this Holy Spirit that we can receive? Simply put, This Holy Spirit is an angel sent from God to help us attain salvation. Look at what the writer of Hebrews said. For to what angel did God ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. We saw the actual fulfillment of this description and prophecy in verse 7 relating to the angels of God on the day of Pentecost when the disciples first received the Holy Spirit. Note what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven, like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. This is the fulfilment of the prophetic description of the angels and shows that the Holy Spirit is indeed an angel sent to man. Why? Look no further than the last verses of Hebrews 1 for that answer. But to what angel has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make thy enemies a stool for thy feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve, for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation. Hebrews 1, verses 13 and 14. The angels are described as ministering spirits sent to serve those who are to receive salvation. We are those who are to receive salvation. It is angels who are the Holy Spirit doing the work in us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. If we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, which is described in many places in the Bible, we see that they minister to the people of God. Look at these few scriptures as an example, and there are many more than just these. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 14, verse 26. And also, When the counsellor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. John 15 verse 26. And once more, yet I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. It is evident from this small snapshot that the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach, counsel, guide, bring to our remembrance the words of Jesus, and bear witness to the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit will minister to those people who are to receive salvation, and that's you and me. And as we saw in Hebrews 1 verse 14, this work was appointed to the angels. From this, it is clear that the Holy Spirit is an angel. So when Jesus says that I and the Father are one, he's saying they are of one mind and one spirit, for they think and act in perfect balance and harmony with each other. It is the will and plan of God that those who come to Jesus will be one with him in the same way. His aim for us is that we should think and act in all situations and circumstances as God would do himself. There is no Trinity. Just God the Father, God the Son, seeking man to be like them and giving man the power to achieve that position through the working of the angelic, Holy Spirit, he gives to us to accomplish his work. So this leads us to the question, where did the Trinity teachings come from? This is an important issue and one that must be discussed and addressed, for if we are wrong, we may be worshipping a myth and a lie. If the God we worship is not in fact the God of truth, then who or what are we worshipping? We need to look at and try to understand the roots of the Christian faith to better understand Trinity. In the Old Testament, every reference to the Lord God spoke of just one God. In fact, this was a key foundation of Judaism and one of the points which set it apart from all the other pagan religions of the time. Judaism was and still today is a monotheistic religion, one God. This idea of just one God is even enshrined in the preamble to the Ten Commandments, Note these words that immediately precede the giving of the Ten Commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. We might wonder why the Lord God saw fit to enshrine such a teaching into the law. It seems evident that God was making a distinction between the rites, rituals, and worship of the nation of Israel to separate it from all the other nations who worshipped multiple pagan gods. The pagan religions of the time had many different gods. They were by nature polytheistic religions with many gods. In almost all of the pagan religions, the godhead of the religion was a trinity god. They all taught that their gods were a trinity of gods forming a triune godhead. And the reason why is that almost all of the forms of pagan worship derive from the same source, Babylon of the Chaldees. The Babylonians influenced the religions of Egypt, Greece, Rome, Canaan, Syria, even the early Hindu and Tao teachings of Japan. But the God of Israel was not like these pagan false gods, and he defined who he was when he spoke to the people of Israel, saying he was one God, not many, not a trinity, but one God. And thus the Israelites were separated from all the other nations around them because theirs was a monotheistic religion. Skipping forward to the New Testament times, we see in the first section of the following verses, Paul says there is only one God, who is the Father of all. There is only one Lord and Saviour, who is Jesus Christ, and there is one Holy Spirit given to each person. It says this, Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4-6. to We should also compare this to Ephesians 4, verses 4-6, to which says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Ephesians 4, verses 4-6. to This raises an interesting point concerning the nature of God. The scripture tells us that there is only one God who is the Father. He is above all, through all and in all. There is no other God but the Father and no one compares to him. Even Jesus Christ said of his relationship to the Father that the Father was greater than himself. He made this point a number of times. For example, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Luke 18 verses 18 and 19. And also, you heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. John 14 verse 28. And Paul also says, speaking about Christ, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. So while Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings, the Saviour of mankind, the Son of God and the firstborn of all creation, he is not equal with God the Father. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is called God by the Father, as seen in Hebrews chapter 1. But Jesus is not equal with the Father. And even in this verse, we see God the Father recognize that he is God to the Son. But of the Son, he, the Father, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. So here is a question that needs an answer. Is the God of the Jews the same God that Jesus Christ worshipped and likewise the same God of Christianity? Yes, he is. Jesus was born a Jew of the tribe of Judah, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. God the Father is still God the Father, who was God of Israel and is God of the Christian church. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour, for it's through him that we have salvation. But it was by the grace of God the Father that this opportunity was given to us. The work of grace that provides salvation is a work of the Father through jesus christ so when and how did the god of christianity become a trinity when was the triune relationship established in the church that is so widely accepted in churches today and when and how did god cease to be a monotheistic god and become a polytheistic triune god the father is one god he is not a trinity jesus is a god also but he is not part of a triune godhead And the Holy Spirit has never been called God anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, the word Trinity and even the concept of Trinity is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. I get wary of things that are taught as doctrine in the church where there is no scriptural foundation and the doctrine of Trinity is just such a teaching. Furthermore, even the most learned of theologians cannot adequately describe what the doctrine of Trinity is all about. So how are the masses of Christians expected to understand it? God is not a God of confusion, as the Bible tells us, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. But the doctrine of Trinity is confusing, misleading, and in complete conflict with the truth of the Bible. When people say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they get the first two right, but the Holy Spirit is not God, so the statement is false. Don't get me wrong, I am not degrading or downplaying the role of the Holy Spirit one iota. I'm merely showing the falseness of this doctrine since it does not concur with the truth in the Bible. Furthermore, when they make claim to the Trinity and use the above statement, they are making all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be equal. They say of the Trinity that it is one God in three persons, making all three part of the one and thus all equal in stature. This is clearly wrong, for Jesus did not ever claim to be equal to the Father, as quoted above, and nowhere is the Holy Spirit accorded the status of being God. So where did the doctrine of Trinity come from? The doctrine of the Trinity came from the pagan teachings of Babylon, which were spread far and wide into many of the pagan religions of the world. Note these excerpts from a book titled The Two Babylons by the Reverend Alex Hislop. And they give us a great insight into this. So utterly idolatrous was the Babylonian recognition of the divine unity that Jehovah, the living God, severely condemned his own people for giving any countenance to it. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens after the rites of the only one eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together. Isaiah sixty-six seventeen. In the unity of that one only God of the Babylonians, there were three persons, and to symbolise that doctrine of the Trinity, they employed, as the discoveries of Layard prove, the equilateral triangle. And the papacy has in some of its churches, as for instance in the monastery of the so called Trinitarians of Madrid, an image of the triune God, with three heads on one body. The Babylonians had something of the same. In India, the supreme divinity in like manner in one of the most ancient cave temples is represented with three heads on one body, under the name of eco Deva Trimurti, one god, three forms. In Japan, the Buddhists worship their great divinity Buddha with three heads, in the very same form, under the name of San Pao Fu. All these have existed from ancient times, while overlaid with idolatry, the recognition of a trinity was universal in all the ancient nations of the world, proving how deep-rooted in the human race was the primeval doctrine on this subject, which comes out so distinctly in Genesis. And for reference to that, you can have a look at Alex Hislop, The Two Babylons, www.biblebelievers.com slash babylon. /sect21.htm. There is much more on this subject in Hislop's book, but this should suffice to show the nature and extent of the doctrine of the Trinity in pagan religions of the world, and all of these predated Christianity. It is interesting to note also that the wording of the Trinity doctrine in India so closely matches the words used by Christian proponents of this doctrine, one God, three forms. The doctrine of Trinity was universally accepted in the pagan religions because they all came from the root of Babylon, and this too is the root of Trinity in the Christian church. The doctrine of Trinity did not exist in the early church at all before the 4th century AD. It was an introduced doctrine brought in during the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople. It should also be noted that even in those councils, the doctrine was not universally agreed upon by all council members. There were a number of dissidents, but not enough to reject the doctrine. The Trinity doctrine was introduced at the behest of Emperor Constantine, who was actually a pagan and a sun worshipper, and who was quite used to the Trinity worship under the Roman pagan religions. Furthermore, to justify the doctrine of Trinity in the Christian Church, there was a fabricated scripture introduced into the Bible that never appeared in any of the earliest Greek texts. Under great pressure from Rome during the Dark Ages, the Bible scholar Erasmus was forced to include a false translation of 1 John 5 verses 6-8 to give the doctrine of Trinity some scriptural weight. This has been one of the most argued-about verses in the Bible, and thankfully, most modern translations have gone back to the early Greek texts and removed it. It does, however, still exist in the Authorised Version or King James Version of the Bible, and readers of those texts should beware. What the King James Version says is this, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. 1 John 5, verses 6-8, to King James Version. Whereas other more recent and corrected versions read like this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. 1 John 5, verses 6 to 8. RSV. You can see from the above comparison that there is a significant difference in these two texts of the same verses. In the King James Version, it shows there were added words to try and give some scriptural weight to the concept of the Trinity doctrine. But these words were not in any of the earliest Greek texts. They were added by Erasmus under great pressure, and even he recognised they were not there, it was not until a third or later edition of Erasmus's Greek New Testament that the words appeared. They were not in his earlier Greek editions. So if Trinity is a pagan doctrine that has been allowed to infiltrate the church How should we as Christians behave? We should reject this doctrine and focus our worship on the Father and the Son, not some three-headed myth and figment of the imagination of a pagan ruler from days gone by. Trinity, by all measures, is a lie that was perpetrated onto the Christian church and has been broadly accepted to the detriment of the church. It does not stand up to the scrutiny of the scripture, and when we realize that the proponents of Trinity in the early church had to manufacture scripture to try and justify this pagan belief, it should be utterly rejected. Look to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, and recognize God the Father as the architect of your salvation by faith through grace, and seek to receive the Holy Spirit who can and will open all things up to you so that you can learn understand and are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's all I have for this week. I hope you found it interesting and I hope you'll join me again next week as I continue looking at these aspects of the true church of God. All of the information I'm covering here is contained in a free ebook titled The True Church of God that can be downloaded from the freegiftfromgod.com website So until next week, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast signing off and hoping you have a blessed week ahead. God bless.